had my hand on the pale ale and I'm thinking, you know what? It's just a dunkel kind of day. It is a dunkel kind of day. Right? If it, you it, wait a few days, it might be an IPA kind of day. Hey, welcome to the Pints and Pews podcast. We're just two guys talking about the Catholic faith over a couple of pints of our favorite craft beers. So why don't you slide into the pew alongside us and listen in for a while. Dennis, how you doing, buddy? Good. Robert, good to see you again. Once again, it's been a week and it flew by as, as the weeks always do now, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, short weeks sometimes are the longest weeks, but this week I found went by quick. And you know, again, yeah, it's good to see you, but I wish it was in person, but uh, we're still doing still these hanging meals. in there yeah we celebrated our victoria day long weekend and of course our american friends are celebrating their memorial day weekend this weekend so they'll have their long weekend this weekend yeah. i'll pray that they have a, a safe one and everyone stays uh stays healthy but yeah it's it's the weekend so i think it's time for a, a, a well-deserved beer absolutely so why don't you go ahead there sir and let us know what you're drinking Again, I'm drinking. I get quite fond of the uh, local brewery here where we are, Rock Street, and they've got a little. Oh, you're having a Mun- Mun- Munich lager. A Munich lager, yes. One of my favorite drops here. Very nice out of the Rock Street. See, now this, I, I, I really wish that we were together as opposed to through the Zoom because look what I'm drinking, sir. You're bring you're drinking a uh, dunkel lager, dunkel, uh, uh, Munich dunkel. Yes, you're drinking the same thing. The, the same thing. So you know what? It would be really nice once we can yeah. to uh, sit down each with, with with one each from both breweries to compare them. And you've got an old flame. And didn't I have an old flame yesterday while I was watching the game? The Leafs lose, but nonetheless, um, I don't think it was a uh, Munich lager. I think it might have been a a red. So don't drink. You know the rules. Don't drink. I saw don't you. Drink. I saw you raising the glass. <laughs> grace, grace before beer. Grace before beer. Grace before beer. I just beer. got used to grace before meals, and now I got to get used to grace before beer. In the name of the Father and of the Father, Son and of the Holy Son Spirit. Amen. Bless, O Lord, this creature beer, which Thou hast deigned to produce from the fat of grain that it may be a salutary remedy to the human race and grant through the invocation of thy holy name that whoever shall drink it may gain health in body and peace in soul. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know what we should do? We should, and that is a beautiful prayer, Robert, but we should shorten that prayer to the length of grace before meals so we could like say it and memorize it and you know, kind of spread the word on that one. What do you think? I think maybe you're you're on to something. Yeah. But that is from the official book of, of Roman rites, of, of Roman prayers. So I, I would be loath to change it. What about but the official beer can, book of Robert and Dennis? We could change. We could change that, the, the, the beer book of Robert and Dennis. I could speed it up a little bit too. Mm-mm. Don't know. It's a great, I, I, it's a beautiful prayer. I, I would, I would leave that prayer untouched when we do this, but if we're out at a pub, you know, you don't want to pull it out and 
have to read it. We could just kind of have a couple of lines, grace before meals kind of thing. Three lines, four lines. Well, mm. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. So cheers, mate. Cheers. Another day and a miserable day, less than 10 degrees. It, it, you know, when I was walking the dog this morning, it was snowing. That You know what? They said they got snow out uh, just west of uh, Toronto in Mississauga area. Yeah, so can't, they had snowflakes out there. Yeah, no, the dog was not impressed this morning to go out and there were snowflakes coming down. Yeah, but you, you live out in the boonies up north there. It probably snows <laughs> in, in June and July. <laughs> well, you know, she wasn't impressed when I was hooking her up to the dog sled, but away we went anyways. <laughs> Come on, Goldens love, they love the snow. I remember Hunter yeah. loved the snow. Oh, no, she, she prefers this weather. But, you know, where else besides southern Ontario, you know, could we have you know, three days ago, 30-degree heat and humidity? Mm -hmm. all right and then yeah three days later it's barely breaking zero and we've got snow coming from the sky and, and for our, our few listeners that are south of the border in the states and number one we, we thank those of you that listen to us uh from anywhere but for those of you that are, are south of the border when we say zero degrees we, we mean 32 degrees fahrenheit that's right yeah you know 32 degrees in canada is stinking hot and 30 32 degrees in the states is stinking cold but yeah it's been a cold miserable day and that's why i actually had my hand on a pale ale for today out of the town brewery in whitby another brewery craft brewery in whitby and i had my hand on the pale ale and i'm thinking you know what it's just a dunkel kind of day it is a dunkel kind of day right? if you it, wait it, a few days it might be an ipa kind of day exactly and again where where we are it seems to change from hour to hour but it's just a, a day to have a little bit of a fuller beer, a beer with a, a fuller flavor. Uh, I really like the the smoky taste, mm. the old flame Munich Dunkel. Uh, I don't know. Does the the Brock Street one have a bit of a smoky flavor to yeah, it? Yeah, it does actually. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I really like that. And when I was living just outside of Munich, the the Dunkel, the the, the darker one, was my my favorite out of all of them. Mm -hmm. There's so many nice beers. Germany has so many nice beers. Don't 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 they over there? Yeah. Oh, and my mouth starts to water thinking about it. I know. I think we got to switch it up a little bit because I've been gravitating toward a lot of these craft beers and I have to go back to my European beers. I think for next week, I'll go back. Actually, maybe if we have time for a second, I'll go back to the European ones that we from Germany or Belgium or Holland yeah. or something like that. And again, there you have to be choosy because they have their own mass-produced beer. Absolutely, which we think is a niche beer, but it's actually maybe a mass-produced one. They, don't, as you often said last time, it's one they don't drink, but we think everybody drinks it. Yeah, well, well and that one was out of Belgium. We had some people staying with us from Antwerp in Belgium, and we were touring downtown Toronto. And there was this big billboard for for Stella. You think you know, number it? number one beer in the land of beers, mm -hmm. and I pointed out to the gentleman, and he's like, "Yeah, that that stuff's garbage. I don't drink that yeah. stuff. It's just a, a, a mass produced beer." And he's he's the one that put me onto the onto the Trappist beers because yeah, yeah. he he introduced me to Lef, and there right. again, there's a, a blonde and a brune, uh, a, a lighter version and a darker version. I think there's even more, but those are the two that we can get here. And he really put me onto the to the Trappist beers. And again, for me, those are more of a, a wintry day kind of beer, but so much more flavor. Yeah, well, they've been making it for hundreds of years, hundreds of years, right? That was that was the same thing when I got to Australia, and I, I thought everybody was drinking Fosters because remember Fosters in the oh. early '90s was the, you know, just out of uh, 
Crocodile Dundee just passed those years and everybody thought they all the Aussies drank Fosters. You couldn't find that. Like nobody was drinking Fosters. Right. So what what what's the beer down down under then? Well, I was drinking Redback, but then there was also you know Crown Royal in the Melbourne area, and then there was uh, Tui's was a big beer in New South Wales, and then I got to Swan Lager. That was a big beer out out in the West Coast. So it depended. It's very regional. I, I guess like many places, right? It was all regional depending on where you were. Okay, and so I guess kind of like the craft beers as well, because I even here in, in Ontario yeah. where we live. There's a lot of great craft beers that we can't get in our region. I know when I've been in Ottawa, there's a, a couple of different breweries out of Ottawa, and I can never remember them. I just recognize the labels when I go into the, mm-hmm. the LCBO in Ottawa. And they're really good craft beers, but I don't find them here. No, you can't. No. In that same flavor, if you if you pardon the pun, in that same flavor, you had, you know, asked what are some of my favorite Catholic churches that I've been to, mm-hmm. and kind of the same way with my taste in beer, those my taste in churches, and so I'm just going to make this admission right up front. You know, when I talk, if I'm going to talk about some of my favorite Catholic churches, is I love the intricate beauty of the older churches. I'm really not a fan of modern modern architectural minimalism. You don't like the semicircle around the altar or the whole No, no, no or the, or, or no artwork on the mm-hmm. walls. Mm-hmm. Uh, or just you know, a stone slab for for the altar. Right? And, and yeah, just flat flat walls and, and flat ceiling. I I love I love having something to look at. Absolutely. I love having something to look at. So kind of the same way as my taste in beer, I like something with a fuller flavor that's a little bit more complex that uh, dances around the palate. When I'm visiting a church, I I like it to look like a church, to feel like a church. Uh, I like the architecture to point me towards God. Point you towards God, yeah. Right. And you you like a traditional, you like a, a church with a rich history. I mean, you want an older church. I don't know about you, but I want an older church if I can get an older church. I mean, you, it is possible to have that intricate beauty in a newer church, but it, it has to be done by by design. And so, yes, yeah. unfortunately, I would say I'm tend to lean more towards the older churches. Right. And for us, you know, in our area, if it's 100 to 150 years old, that's an older church. I mean, we look at our cathedral in downtown Toronto, St. Mike's Cathedral, about 170 years, undergone a beautiful, well, let's start with that, undergone an absolutely beautiful renovation. That is a a beautiful cathedral, Basilica Cathedral, I believe now. Um, uh, I I love St. Michael's in Toronto. Uh, we've been as a family trying once a year to make a pilgrimage, usually in the fourth weekend of Advent, the fourth Sunday of Advent, we, we try to be at, at St. Michael's Cathedral for the Mass there. Uh, and even before the renovation, it was something to behold. Yeah. It's the, the, always the, a go-to place for, for people in the downtown core. Mind you, we've been to a couple of others. I mean, St. Basil's for me, when I was down at the University of Toronto at St. Mike's, that was always a beautiful spot you know sometimes you just could pop in there for daily mass at 12 10 run by the bazillions a beautiful place right at bay and 
I guess, Bay and Wellesley area. And uh, uh, one that we've been to um, last couple of years, Robert, in the summer, the Basilica. St. Oh, uh, Paul's Basilica. St. Paul's there down uh, in the east end of Toronto. Yeah, that's a beautiful church as well. Yeah, and, and again, and it's in that, I don't have the architectural knowledge. So I'm I know, I want to say, I, I could, I I could start spouting the terms and it's like, I'd be, I'd be all wrong. And, you know, then the comments light up. Yeah. I want to say neo-Gothic. It, it, they're very reminiscent of the, the cathedrals in Europe, just with the, the, the stone structure and the columns and the, the pillars. Yeah. Uh, again, they were built so many centuries after the, the great cathedrals in, in Europe were built. So some of the architectural elements are more for show than they are structurally. And again, I'd have to, to look at pictures of St. Michael's and St. Paul's. I, I don't think that they have the fi- flying buttresses because they just weren't needed. Were needed, yeah. But you've got the in, in certainly in St. Paul's, you've got that apse and the nave in that in that more traditional style. And yeah. and don't forget that's the oldest parish in, in Toronto, I believe. Not not the original, it's obviously not the original church at St. Paul's, but the oldest parish, founded by, you know, um Irish Catholics, I believe, coming over after the famine. Yeah. And thinking of the Irish Catholics, I was going to mention I took a class on a tour of St. Michael's Cathedral one time when it was under the reno- under renovation. So it was I remember that. I remember you project. telling me. And one thing that absolutely floored me to learn was the foundation for the cathedral here in Toronto was dug by hand by Irish immigrants. Wow! Right. Wow. And so you're looking at this huge cathedral, and you think these guys with shovels dug out. That's for the foundation, and then laid the stones, right? Speaking uh, of floored, weren't you almost floored by a piece of construction? <laughs> when you, when no, was that no, the renovation? The, the, yeah, the, the construction ended for Mass. We were there for the, the noonday Mass, and construction ended for Mass. And then after Mass, we were taking kind of a self-guided tour from the cathedral. They had sent me the information to take the students around. And so we're up at the front and I'm presenting the sanctuary to the students and explaining the different elements of the sanctuary. And at this point, the renovations on the roof had started up again. And this huge piece of plaster came falling from the ceiling and it missed my colleague by about a foot. Mm. Actually, it landed right on the ambo. And I'm thinking, you know, if that had happened half an hour earlier, it would have landed right on the, the priest while he was reading the gospel. Wow. Right. Lucky you weren't hurt because there would have been a moral dilemma, you know, lawsuit yeah. <laughs> in the heart of St. Mike's Cathedral. I don't know. That's a tough one. Yeah. I, if there's plaster falling off the church ceiling and hitting me on the head, you know, maybe God's trying to tell me something. Absolutely. It's time, for, you know what? It's time for confession. If that's happening, it's time. But that for- renovation, if you do get to, to Toronto and St. Mike's, the renovation is absolutely beautiful. It's a beautiful no, it, cathedral in no, downtown it, Toronto. It, it's gorgeous. And, and thinking of, of different cathedrals, and I know you've traveled quite a bit as well. I've had the pleasure of visiting many, many beautiful cathedrals across Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been to Westminster Abbey in, in London and St. Paul's Cathedral, yep. which yep. I, I believe are now those, part of the yeah. Anglican Church. Right, right. Beautiful, both beautiful cathedrals and uh, cathedral and abbey yep yeah. uh in paris i've been to to, to notre dame notre dame uh, yeah. uh you know and god willing they're able to restore that no, see, the, 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 that was a beautiful parish robert but i just found when i when i walked into notre dame boy 
just the tours and the busyness. I mean, it, was, it wasn't a respite from your busyness outside. It was almost busier inside. Did you well, find I, Yeah, and I, and I was going to talk about that. Like, it wasn't just Notre Dame, but also Sacré-Cœur, which is up on the mountain in, in Paris and Montmartre, and having visited Chartres Cathedral, which is right. absolutely stunning. Uh, the Colner Dome, so the, the cathedral in Cologne, which is more magnificent than, than any of them, and Santiago de Compostela, all of those cathedrals, I found the sacredness was overwhelmed by the tourism. By the tourism, yeah. And I agree with you, Momart, right? And Schotter, I, be, we, I think we went there as well with our tour about 13 years ago. But everything, yeah. And I, I don't know if it was shot or somewhere else, but what struck me as odd is there was no, uh, there was no pews, right? The, the, there were seats, there were chairs in one of the... There were there was never pews in those cathedrals. Like when okay. they built them in the Middle Ages, they weren't built with pews. No, I know that, but I, I would imagine recently, like they would have been converted to pews, or they would already they always remain that. I think it it remained that, and they do with chairs, and that gives them then the flexibility then to take the chairs in and out. Yeah, but they could remind me was Westminster Abbey did that not have, and and St Paul's I can't remember if. They were chairs as well. I mean, you're asking me to remember something that's from, from, from over 30 years ago. So, I mean, the Anglican, uh, that's right. The Anglicans uh, would have brought some pews in for sure. I, <laughs> I, I have a problem remembering <laughs> breakfast, never mind a church that I visited Uh-oh. 30 years ago. Uh, that also being said, you're talking about putting the pews in, and, and bolting the pews to the floor, like a, a cathedral like Chartres that has the, the labyrinth. Oh, of course. Right in the, in the floor. In the floor, yeah. And in a number of churches, and I, I don't know the cathedral churches as such, but I know a, a lot of the churches in Europe, especially the monastery churches, is that the former priests and monks, they're buried in the church floor. Hmm. And they're buried in the church floor. And there was originally an inscription, but the inscription eventually wears away over the passage of time with so many people walking over the cemetery, the, the slab. And one of the reasons why, especially the monks did this, was so that over time, the memory of who they were would fade. It was an ultimate sign of humility. To have. So you're not talking about actually under the sanctuary or the altar itself. You're talking under the church floor. I'm talking in the church floor. Wow. Okay. I'm talking in the church floor. So then again, that could be another reason for not putting pews in. But to, to be quite honest, I, I really don't. No. I really don't know. Right, but and one of the the most moving visits I had to one of those cathedrals was actually the the Kölner Dom, the the cathedral in Köln in Cologne, Germany, mm-hmm. and it's right across from the the main train station. And so you come out of the the main train station, and there's this huge, massive, imposing cathedral to the point where you almost take two or three steps back. And a beautiful, beautiful building. And so I went in to to visit, and again, it was full of tourists but at that moment there was someone doing an organ concert and so you went in and there was just this classical organ filling this massive beautiful ornate space and it really was moving it really was moving you know what when you look at these churches though robert and you think to yourself okay 800 years ago how the heck did they build these and they built didn't build them in a lifetime it was often many lifetimes of of people building these Gothic cathedrals where it took a hundred, couple hundred years. I think Notre Dame, uh, I, I mean, probably even longer. 
It, yeah, no, it, it would take centuries for them to build yeah. these these churches. And I was and I was reading. Oh no, we were watching a. Uh, Ali and I were watching a program about faith, faith tourism in Portugal. They were talking about the monastery at Betaya, which is about ten kilometers from Fatima. Okay. Uh, and when, because you're planning on getting to Portugal, and I know Fatima will be on your list of places mm -hmm. to get into Portugal. It literally is ten kilometers away. The monastery of Bataya, it's worth the visit. And they were saying that to build this monastery, the the one king who successfully seceded Portugal from Spain, right? So they're the first king of Portugal built this monastery or had plans to build this monastery uh, as thanksgiving for his victory as he he beat the spanish king and he had 7000 knights and the spanish king had 20000 and he still was was victorious so it was it was in thanksgiving to god for portuguese independence and so he started this monastery and it took five generations to finish it. And there's even still some parts of it that have been left unfinished because one king would start a certain chapel in the monastery and then he would die, but the son would have other plans. So he would just leave that section unfinished and start building his own section somewhere else uh, on the monastery. Uh, so that would be, again, it's just a, a beautiful expression of Portuguese Catholic architecture. Is, is nice. that the Taya? But you mentioned too, like you don't have to go to Europe to see the, these no, fantastic cathedrals. Like you were talking about St. Michael's in Toronto and St. Paul's Basilica in Toronto. But also, I love our, our visits to Montreal. Right? Of course. Uh, Notre Dame in, in Montreal, absolutely stunning interior. Absolutely. And they do a light show in there as well. Yeah, and I didn't want to get into that last time we were there about a year ago. And of course, it was all closed up for renovation. Yeah. So absolutely beautiful. And then if you go further up to Quebec City, or uh, I mean, between that, St. Anne de Beaupre, beautiful exactly. church. And, and, and a couple of beautiful old churches, almost European-like in Quebec City. Of course, the names escape me now. No, and again, and it's been so many years since we were in Quebec City, too. I don't, I don't remember them. One of yeah, my favorite ahead. places in Montreal is the Oratoire Saint-Joseph. Now, the, the architecture of the main church is very much... Uh, 50s 60s slightly minimalist yes that was that wasn't that impressive that part of it but the structure itself Robert, if we could just describe yep. for the listeners what this oh, it's almost floor upon floor there what is it's, it's multi-level and they started kind of with the crypt and then building on top of it, building on top of it uh and then putting this cathedral like church on the on the top over the years i remember just being impressed as a young child by the the candles that were lit for prayer the crutches that had been left behind because of the the healings that had happened with Saint André de Montréal, uh, right, and also his yeah. little initial church that he had over on the side, right, uh, is 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 really uh, just say that name once again for our viewers in in English, just so they get that full Saint André, Saint André de Montréal, yeah, okay, but Saint André Basset, Saint, right? Saint, Saint, Saint Andrew of Montreal, oh. <laughs> No, Saint Saint Andre of Montreal or yeah. Saint Alfred Bassett. So Alfred Bassett was the the name that he was born with, and I think some people do refer to him as Saint Alfred Bassett. Uh, I thought it was Andre. He's more known as Brother Andre. Yeah, Brother Andre, Andre was yeah. the name he took. Who worked with. Who worked the door at at the uh, the school across the road? I believe e exactly. 
Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you're right. That minimalist, it, it, it it's almost was built with, okay, we need to have a huge structure here for all the tourists because, I mean, they get millions of tourists a year. It's beautiful, beautiful building. But you're right. There's a couple of other little churches there that are, are, are often nice, and they've got so many things to see and so many steps to climb. And it's yeah. it's a beautiful spot if you ever get there. Yeah, and there's a fascinating story about the church as well, is that the funds ran out before they could put a roof on it. Oh, I didn't know right. that. And they were saying, what are we going to do? We've got the church structures there, but there, there's no roof. We don't have money for the roof. And St. Andre said, put a statue of St. Joseph in the church. And if he wants a roof over his head, the money will come. And sure enough, now there's yeah. a roof over, over St. Joseph's head, right? Nice, yeah. Uh, and, and that's really putting trust in God. That's mm-hmm. really putting trust in God. But talking about all of these different churches, I have to say, though, there's something to be said about your home parish, hmm. about you know being comfortable with the familiar. And I, whenever I talk about this, I, I think back, uh, it was 2003, Ellie and I had done a tour across Europe, and we had visited a number of these fantastic cathedrals. And that, that year we went to uh, Lourdes, and we went to Santiago, and we went to Fatima, and we visited church across Spain uh, and through France. We went to Avignon, France, and we visited the Palace of the Popes in France. Oh, wow. That would we were in really Lyon, and we went to the two different cathedral churches that are, are in, or the one's a cathedral, and one would be a basilica, because there's only one cathedral in the, the archdiocese. And we went to all these, and, you know, it was great to visit all of them. But it was when we returned home to our parish church. And at that time, we didn't have a church building. So our parish was in the school gym. But it was really there that we we felt more of that belonging, that notion of church, that community, that that family feeling within the church. And I think that comes back to what we said before, that when you're visiting these other churches as a tourist, the sacredness gets overwhelmed by the tourism. Absolutely, yeah. Especially the very large ones, the basilicas and the cathedrals. I mean, there was a beautiful one in in Fremantle in, in Western Australia when I was there, and they had built this church. Robert, I think it was, obviously, it was probably close to 100 years, but it was built just on a hill. So as you walked out the doors, you know, if you looked in the distance, it was the Indian Ocean. I mean, there would have been nothing there when they built it a hundred years ago. Now homes that all built up. But I thought that was a beautiful, and that was my little parish to go to when I had lived there for a year or so, as opposed to the, you know, the Basilica or the cathedral in Perth or in Fremantle, which they have a beautiful Basilica in Fremantle as well. But that was, a, you know, like you just said, it was a home parish. I'd recognized, you know, it was a Irish priest who'd immigrated there and he would, you know, he knew everybody in the, pre- and it was smaller and it was just, it was a beautiful spot. Much like the one in Prince Edward Island, there was another one. We had traveled there about 20 years ago, just to dump off topic. And it was this be- it was a rural place in Prince Edward Island. I think it was like a wooden church, but it was absolutely one of those things that just you could tell the sense of community there and that people knew each other. And there weren't any tourists there, which kind of spoils the whole mass, does it not, if there's a million tourists? Oh, for sure. And we kind of had this similar kind of experience uh, a few years ago when we were in Portugal. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were visiting my wife's parents home islands in the Azores we were in San Miguel uh, and then we spent some time in San George uh, 
we were going to Mass there, of course, uh, on Sundays. And also we were there for the Feast of Santa Ana, which was the feast day of my father-in-law's parish. So going into these little church, again, it's all locals. So you stand out a little bit. They all know that you're not from around there. Uh, So they do take a a moment to come up and and ask who you are and get to know a little bit about you. Uh, Again, in Portugal, because we were in the the, the home parish of my father-in-law, uh, and on my mother-in-law's island, people knew who you were related to. So that was always a fun part of the conversation as well. But an, another beautiful thing that I really loved about going to Mass there was that even though my Portuguese is very, very limited, I could still follow along with the Mass. Between nice. the little bit of Portuguese that I have, but the structure of the Mass, and, and it really hits home that the church is universal. And you probably found the same when you were in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. Right? When you're, yeah. you're going to that, that mass at that parish church that you were saying, that's kind of way out there in Australia, but the mass is the same. Same, absolutely the same in a sense of familiarity wherever you go in the world. And that was the same thing, I think, when I went back home to Ireland and we had gone to, a, even as a kid going to the local village in Ireland in the, the little parish there. And I was thinking to myself, We'd go in there as a family and it, it would be packed. There'd be tons of people and you were tourists, but it was so nice to have that sense of village and mass. And I always wondered as a kid, so why are all these men, you know, milling about outside the, outside the church proper? Why aren't they going inside? And then I realized the pub was across the road and they were waiting for opening time at 11 o'clock just to head over for a pint. But yeah, yeah. Um, all, all, all the, all the women and children are inside the church yeah. proper following out with church following along with the mass and, and all the men are on the front step, kind of one ear listening to what's going on in the mass. So that way, if they get tested later, they know, they know what was said in the homily so they can right. answer all the questions and they're having their cigarette waiting for the, the pub to open. Oh, that was so true. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's so much, again, there's just a, a beauty to that, that sense of family, sense of community, sense of belonging to the body of Christ. Absolutely. And you know what, Robert, you make a good point, because I think when you, when you look at those churches that, you know, you talk about in the Azores, or I talk about in Ireland, and we had gone there just a couple of years ago, too. And I noticed in those small towns and stuff, they weren't as crowded as they were when I was a kid. And I think just before we leave you, we also probably have a, you know, a couple of guests maybe coming up in the yeah, there's a, there's a couple people, but I I don't want to let the cat completely out of no. the bag yet because you know nothing is confirmed, so we won't announce our guests until we're announcing that they're there on the show with us. That Absolutely, day. yeah. But we yeah, there's 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 a a couple things on the go, and I think some pretty good topics coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm I'm really excited about all of that. But uh, yeah, I think now is the time to to say good evening. No, and I think it's just really important to mention too, Robert. I mean, we do appreciate those people that you, I mean, you, you keep me up to date about, Oh, this person downloaded the podcast from, you know, somewhere in Maryland or, you know, somewhere in the UK. And I think that's, that's kind of, you know, it, it, it makes me feel really, you know, it's, it's absolutely heartwarming that people would take the time to, to download this podcast. And I think it's, it's because they're searching just like us, you know, always searching for the faith or something within the faith that can inspire them. And, you know, we get inspired by 
other people within the faith. And hopefully that there's something that we say throughout the course of this podcast that says, hey, maybe I will take a trip or, you know, maybe I, I will look at my parish in a different way, you know, even though I've been there for 25 years type thing. No, for sure. For And yeah, we, we have to to be thankful for anyone that's taking the time to, to listen to us ramble on like we do. Like we say, we, we, we always say we're, we're always having these conversations. It's just nice to hit record every once in a while. And it's mm-hmm. kind of cool that, yeah, there are people out there listening across Canada, uh, through the United States. Uh, the last time I looked, like you say, Maryland, North Carolina, uh, Arkansas, Colorado. Yeah. Uh, and I, I apologize if I'm not getting them all. We've had some listeners in the UK and in India. And that kind of gives the inspiration for us to continue having these conversations, to continue recording these conversations and, and putting them out there. Uh, and we've had some really great feedback from other listeners lately that contacted us directly that, you know, have said that they've really enjoyed and that they're getting something out of these. And for me, that just gives me the inspiration to, to keep going. And, and talking about the faith, because the, exactly. faith, the faith keeps us going. The faith is the reason why we do this why we do our, our jobs, why we, why we keep going is because the faith is so important to us. And I think we get inspired. I know I get inspired by you. I get inspired by so many people within the faith and hopefully we'll have those, a couple of those people on this podcast within the next couple of months that inspire us. God, God willing, God willing, God, God willing. We'll both be back next week to, to give this another go as well. Uh, right? Amen. Amen. Robert. So until, until that time, sir. Enjoy your beer and thank you. Have, have a great, have a great evening, and we'll we'll talk again soon. I'll finish off my last drop. Ciao. Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed your pint and the conversation just as much as we did, and we look forward to chatting again next time over a pint or two. <laughs>